Hey everybody, welcome back. We're the Menchwarmers, uh, your bi-weekly-ish look at the world of Jews and sports. I'm Jamie. I'm here with my friend Gabe. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? I'm I'm okay. A big shlicha for missing last week. Um, that is that's my fault. I was yeah. I think regular regular listeners know that our schedules sometimes get a little confused yeah. in the summertime, and you know the doldrums of the sports calendar. We're, There's not necessarily so much to talk about. We're fresh parents, and having a child in <laughs> daycare you. means that sickness is just sort of a a way of life. There is, you know, as as the world turns and the sun, you know, goes up and down, as do the colds and the flus and the streps throat. Sure. That happens all the time. Um, so I was sick. I was too sick to record. So we decided to punt last week's episode. Um, and now, you know, or two weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago I'm yeah. sorry, last, you know, times episode now we've got a lot of stuff to catch up on um there's been just just on the on the strep throat issue um i've never been diagnosed with strep throat or bronchitis or any other cold like that would require antibiotics do you think this is either a impressive or b just a sign that i don't go to the doctor enough probably which of those two things because though you know having strep throat i i remember having it as a kid not being so bad but like like it's it's the worst pain i've had in a very long time like it is okay. Then I think I don't. Yeah. I don't think I've actually. Had you it. would. You yeah. would no, need really. to go to the doctor. Like it's pretty okay. overwhelming. Um, Good to know. Well, glad you're doing better. Thank you. Um, it, it is. You know, it is the off season for all sports, all professional North American sports. I should say, except for uh, baseball. But it's, and you know, there's not a lot of news in that regard. It's just sort of like you know, the Jews are playing baseball, and some of them are doing it better than others. Uh, you know, our our Toronto Blue Jays hosted Jock Peterson and. Uh, and Gabe Kapler last week and the San Francisco Giants, um, but uh, didn't have such a great series there. But uh, there's been some interesting both international stuff and offseason stuff that we should talk about. Um, you know, the biggest one that I want to mention uh, off the bat is Israel's, you know, tremendous accomplishment at the under 21 European oh, Championship. Spectacular. Now, we, 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 we just talked, uh, you know, last episode about the the uh, youth world cup like the under 21 world cup that was going on israel ended up making it to the semifinals uh where they ultimately lost but it was you know this great result really israel's best result ever at a world cup type event uh you know it's the under 21 team but the, now they've been playing the uh under 21 european championship uh in georgia georgia the country and this is for qualifying for the olympics because the Olympics is played by I think I think it's under twenty three teams, so it's like your your U twenty one team qualifies, and then the following year, you know, they're still all eligible as as U twenty three levels. And I think there's like you might be allowed a few older guys, mm-hmm. but um, Israel has now made it into the semifinals there. As as of this recording, um, there's no result yet, uh, but they beat Georgia, who's the host the host team, and also because of you know whatever machinations of of, of international football like. Uh, France and England have also made it to the semifinals. And since they can't qualify uh, for the Olympics through this tournament, Israel has now guaranteed a spot in the Olympics. Oh, that's uh, pretty exciting. So the, so the reason is because France is France, the, the Olympics in 2024, we should say are in Paris, um, presuming that the city still exists and hasn't burned down, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and there aren't ongoing riots stopping the Olympics from happening. <laughs> the Olympics will be there. So France has an automatic bid. Yeah. Um, England, I, I believe, because it qualifies for the Olympics and international soccer differently. Um, like England doesn't represent the. Sorry, there's no English team at the at the Olympics, right? It's Great Britain. 
but there's no great British soccer team. Like there's no great British football team, England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, uh, you know, each have their own, probably like Gibraltar, like all the channel lines, they each have their own national team. Right. Yeah. So because of that, England couldn't qualify this way. So Israel has made it into the uh, semifinals. They'll be playing England and, you know, obviously a uh, victory at the tournament would be really important, but I think the cooler thing is just that they're going to the Olympics. Uh, you know, it, this is going to be the first time since 1976 that Israel has made it to the Olympics uh, for soccer. So that's, you know, it'd be really interesting to see That's uh, how they can do That's it. extremely cool. And, you know, Israel just coming off their excellent under 21 um, World Cup championship. You know, we we're talking losing in the semifinals. We're talking about, you know, the, the Olympics is an under 23 tournament. Um so yeah. overall, they have a really good, really, you know, likely uh, chance of appearing, you know, actually making some noise given how well they did in the last tournament, because it's a lot of the same teams they were facing this year, yeah, sort exactly. of a redo of that tournament next year. Um, yeah, and it, it seems like it's guys who are playing together. We should say, you know, obviously our, our podcast is focused on Jews and sports. It is a, you know, it's a mixed team. It's a mixed Arab and Israeli team. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. And, and uh, you know, there's, uh, I think, a few Jewish players as well. Um, but lots of Jews on the team, obviously. And I think a team that Israel is going to have a lot of fun cheering on next year. I did, um, doing some research on this. So as I mentioned, Israel, uh, made the Olympics twice before, uh, one in 1976, uh, when I believe that they were, they, they didn't, uh, they, they drew three games and then lost to Brazil in a quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. So decent result, but the 68 one, uh, has a very interesting outcome from that. So they won two of their games in the qualifying round, um, made it to the quarterfinals where they played Bulgaria, and they tied Bulgaria 1-1. And the uh, not unlike selecting a day for the genocide of Jews in the Book of Esther, oh boy. <laughs> the decision on which team made it forward into the semifinals was done by a drawing of drawing lots. of lots, and it's not. Yeah, I so, would. I you know, it's certainly biblical standing when you call it the drawing right. of lots. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I mean, it was a, it was a summer Olympics. It was it, because it was in Mexico. It was later in the year. It wasn't in uh, around Purim time, mm-hmm. but uh, because they tied in the quarterfinals, that's what was done back then. And apparently, this was common in, in like international soccer comp- soccer tournaments up until this time. That it wasn't even like. Uh, you know, like it wasn't, uh, you know, now we do like a, you know, overtime and, or extra time and, and penalty kicks, but it wasn't even like, yeah, we're going to look at your, you know, goals for versus goal, you know, goals, goals scored against you goals against in the round robin. It was like, no, we're just, they, they literally picked a a name out of a sombrero uh, from what I read. (laughs) And, and, and so here's the interesting, so drawing of lots annoying. Yeah. And, and so obviously that's like not the way you want to do it uh, in terms of just having having a system in place for, for, for doing it. But the Israel Soccer Federation uh, helped contribute to change the rules. They basically wrote to FIFA saying, like, we got to stop doing this. Uh, and I'm referencing here. I should I should mention a shout out because it's very informative article here. Uh, Haaretz article by Uzi Don. Mm-hmm. Uh, dated November 22, 2017. And he talked about how Israel basically wrote to FIFA and said, we got to stop doing this. Like, we got to find a better way of doing things. And shortly afterwards uh, is when they introduced the, you know, system that we have now of extra time and, um, and eventually penalty shots. So, you know, still still a problem, I would say. Like, do you feel like international soccer tournaments have, like, resolved the tie issue? Um, um, I feel like it's so often just comes down to penalty shots, which are... 
you know, not not quite as random as a drawing of lots, but not so much better. No, I I mean, in a way, they sort of are the drawing of lots, but they actually have to happen. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think they're I don't mind it because I think it's part of the game. Um, you know, soccer is such a, I don't want to say slow moving, but it's such a war of attrition that after 90 minutes, after 120 minutes in the sense, like you have to have Mm -hmm. a resolution. Um, and, and you know, it's so hard on the body and so difficult. You can't really play these guys until they drop. So there's gotta be some sort of finality to it. Um, you know, personally, I kind of like the drama of it because, you know, in when there's penalty kicks on just from like a, uh, sports fan perspective like every eye in the room is on that tv and every you know breath in the arena is held as they said um you know as as says for every fan in that arena you know they paid for the whole seat but they're only using the edge uh that's that's (laughs) what a a live shootout is like in hockey and in soccer and like maybe it isn't necessarily in the traditional spirit of we play until there's a winner period the end but i think in terms of a a sports product it's good like there is no championship that is won without an incredible amount of luck um whether it comes to injury or uh you know draw or even just like the way the ball bounces um so as that continues to happen i think that bringing a little bit into the game a little more nakedly is not necessarily a problem well uh i guess we have israelis to think for it at least in part um, that was uh, Michael Almog of the who later became the the uh, the, the head of the Israel's football federation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that wasn't what it was actually called, but that's close enough. Um, anyway, so that that is very exciting. I think that is something to look forward to. We should say, you know, Olympics about a year away. Uh, as we get closer to it, I'm sure we'll do a plenty of focus on both the Israeli team and also Jews. Uh, competing for other countries around the world. If anyone has uh, any insight into Jews qualifying for the Olympics in various ways, let yeah. us know. You know, we're, we're happy to feature people. We, we love talking to athletes from uh, different sports. You know, it, it, before the previous Olympics, we had uh, we had um, a fencer on who, who Eli was Schenkel. Team Canada. Yeah. Schenkel, was that his last name? I don't think that's right. But uh Anyways, he, he he was a great guest and, and really interesting to hear about uh, fencing from his perspective and what great meant, you know, wonderful what hair on um, that man. Um, yeah, Eli Schenkel is his name, guy. yes. Schenkel, okay, that was a lot. Yes. Anyway, so keep us in mind uh, if you hear about Jewish Olympians. Obviously, that's something we're going to focus on uh, in the next year. Qualifying, you know, starts to happen in all kinds of ways. Um, we should mention as well, in terms of international Israeli uh, sporting exploits. Uh, they, they competed in the world lacrosse so I w- and had a pretty decent outcome. I want to talk about this. This is great, great, great segue. Sure. So, you know, if you were to expect a team of Jewish Americans playing under the Israeli flag in right. global lacrosse, what do you guess their right. world ranking is? Uh, well, I, I, I think of lacrosse as being played mostly by Canadians, Americans, uh, uh, indigenous people in both mm-hmm. Canada and the U.S. Uh, who have their own national teams, um, and that being pretty much it. But so I would think a Jewish team of uh, American Jews being pretty decent, like in top top twenty five in the world. So they're seventh, believe it or not. They've been ranked wow. seventh in the world, number two in Europe, behind England. Wow. Um, and they came. They finished in seventh at the World Cup that just ended. Team made up mostly of North of American and Canadian Jews. Um, okay. You know, so they actually finished the tournament six and one. They won their pool right. uh, going 4-0, won the first elimination game, um, 
then got, I don't know, absolutely bodied by the United States losing 19 to three in the quarterfinals. Um, They then won their seventh place game beating Jamaica. Um, But, you know, Israel sort of played, I would say to their ranking, they had a, a, a pretty high, you know, they had a positive goal differential, um, you know, above Jamaica on one side of them and significantly better than England who wound up coming in sixth um, just because of the, you know, the intricacies or the, you know, the, the game that England happened to win um, in order to get into that fifth place game. Okay. Um, so Israel, you know, is the eighth seed in the playoffs, the worst of the, they had the, I think the lowest goal differential of all the pool winners, um, but they were undefeated in the pool. In, in their pool, mm-hmm. um, won their pool and made it um, actually had a better goal differential than Canada in the first uh, in the in the playoff season. Um, in the sorry, in the first uh, round, um, you know, the United States won gold, Canada won uh, silver and the Iroquois nation um, who, right. who put a team the, tend to be the dominant ones. Yeah, I, I, I think that was the outcome. So they did have. I'm trying to remember when it was because it might. I can't remember if we talked about it or not. It might have been before we had a podcast, but they did have a, a World Lacrosse Championship in Israel. It was the last I one. Think it was the the, one the previous one, right? It was in San, so it was San Diego this year, and then you know it was postponed okay. due to COVID. And mm. five years ago, uh, it was in Israel in 2018. Right. Israel was the host team. Also came in seventh in Netanya, sort of games, you know, in a field in Netanya Stadium, um, which is you Maybe, know. I, it, you know, they, it hosts a lot of tournaments. It's the national sure. stadium of the of the Israeli national soccer team. I, I'd be curious to know what the turnout was for any of those games. Uh, yeah. Besides from like the the f- friends and family members of the of the guys competing, um, but that's pretty cool. I mean, I think it's it's you know, I, I don't know. Lacrosse is a is a you know great sport. Obviously, it doesn't have the sort of. Uh, I know there is a pro league, but I don't know. It doesn't exactly have the sort of uh draw that other sports have but it's nice to see israelis playing i i assume like you know like baseball that there's some uh trickle down of you know lacrosse moving into israeli culture by virtue I, of being around and stuff I like think that so. it's got a huge college culture in north america right um college lacrosse yeah. is, is a really really serious sport um especially as they're trying to grow it all over the world you know as as a lot of most of the team was Israelis and Canadians. I should say most of them that doesn't include um, Israeli nationals, Ori Bar David or Dolev Geva. Um, you okay. know, like those guys so, like, there are some guys. Yeah. Those guys are Israeli. There is a team, you know, there's a, a sort of a, a nationally level team, um, you know, an Israeli premier lacrosse league. Uh, they have games in Netanya. The Netanya team, which hosted the tournament has sort of a big youth program, which has graduated a bunch of guys to the national team. Um, oh, and that's great. something interesting about Dolev Geva is he actually got a small waiver from the Israeli army where he currently is serving um, from the Tzahal yeah. to go participate in the tournament. Um, wow, good for him. Yeah, so there's a there's a lot of like, you know, uh, support and, and sort of excitement to it. Um, and, you know, their coach. I think it's a great, it's also a great avenue for like any like, uh, you know, lax, like, you know, division one lax guy who like doesn't want to go on to his, uh, 
I'm, I'm going to say like internship at an investment bank. I, I think it was probably being the, <laughs> yeah, probably. The, the, you know, like that's the conduit. And yeah. it's like, you want to spend a few years just like playing lacrosse in Israel and like pro- probably having a pretty decent life. Like j- generally speaking, like ha- having a chill time, I would think. Totally. Uh, that, that sounds great. Totally. So, you know. um, one other thing that's pretty cool, you know, if we're talking about what is our North American, you know, or our, our, as you said, their investment bank term. Um, a lot of the players, the team fundraised their own way to the tournament. Um, they had to oh, raise cool. about $50,000 on on GoFundMe or Give Lively or whichever one it did. Um, and they made the team. They made it, were able to travel from or to Israel for training camp um, and across America for training camp and then to San Diego finally to put them up for the whole team. Um, even though there are a lot of Americans, uh, they were able to get everyone across, which is extremely cool. Um you know, a lot of these guys have played for Israel in a couple of years, but are like every Israeli national team. It's somewhat of a motley crew of folks that have this connection. Um, right. You know, people who are raised Jewish and then, you know, you can embrace each other as being part of it. Um, and, and you know, something interesting about the team is a lot of the players have been talking very outwardly about what it means to represent Israel as much as it is the country, but as a team for for Jewish people. Um which is very, very cool. Yeah, that's great. Um, moving on to a little bit of news from the tennis world. We should say that it's Wimbledon going on right now. Uh, a hey, Wimbledon, Wimbledon, uh, Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, Diego Schwartzman <laughs> has been having a tough, a tough year. Tough year. Uh, I think this tough year for Diego. This, you know. T- tough time in France, you know. He's really been our our, our great Jewish hope, and uh, he's into the second round. Um, he is going to be pe- going to be playing Janik Sinner, uh, the Italian tennis player, in the second round. Uh, Denis Shapovalov, born in Israel, not, not exactly identifying as Jewish, but uh, Jewish mother. Uh, I think he had his first round game suspended. His first round match suspended, yes. so he'll finish up that. Uh, probably beat the qualifier that he's playing. Um, and uh, Aslan Karatsev, the uh, Russian Israeli. Um, or not Russian? No, you can't call a tennis player Russian anymore. So the uh, I, I don't know the uh, of unknown origin uh, Aslan Karatsev is on to the second round as well. Yes, um, uh, the, he's, the, going, I, he's going to be playing the equally countryless Andre Rublev. Yes, uh, who's a top ten player. So and that'll probably be it. Actually, him. has been um, Andre Rublev is his doubles partner. Um, yeah. So it. from I guess it the term is the I think it's the international athletes or something um, is, is a countryless <laughs> yeah. athlete. Um, they, they play, they tend to play under the IO, the IOC flag, like the Olympic flag, um, when they participate in a lot of sort of global tournaments. Um, so he's, it's a very, it's a very weird, it's a very weird thing that only exists in sports where like, I don't know, the reality of life like stops being there for a while because of like political machinations, like, uh, like, uh, Macedonia, like being called former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia at Olympic games. Cause like otherwise Greece wouldn't show up or, totally. um, or Chinese Taipei, like Chinese Taipei, the, uh, the Taiwanese teams like continue to be under that flag or like pretending that there's a unified Korea, like a lot of weird, like things that only exist. So like in men's tennis and women's tennis, like, uh, Russia just doesn't exist. You know, these people are yeah. from a country. Who can say which it's, one? It, it certainly it, not Belarus. Right, exactly. It goes the same. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, situations like this all over the world, and and I guess there's like a Western Sahara team that the same way people don't want to play with Israel against Israel. I'm sure right. Morocco doesn't recognize a Western Sahara separatist soccer team. 
um, even right. when it would ever happen. So, you know, these things come back over and over and over again. Obviously, it happens to Israel, perhaps a little a little more um, than yeah. than you would think. Um, but uh, it 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 happens all over the world. Um, and currently, that's, you know, the solution for guys like uh, Aslan Karatsev is they, they take it away. Um, so they move yeah. it over. I've, I'm seeing Shapovalov's ter- uh, match was suspended 2-2 in the second set. Um, yeah. you know, to, so probably continue on tomorrow yeah, morning. Against uh, our meme lord, uh, Radu Albot. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a big internet Reddit guy, Radu is. Um, but uh, Shapovalov sort of spoke to the media about some gamesmanship from Radu. Um, where Radu yeah. was sort of trying to psych him out, running back and forth. On his return position, Chapo always good for always always good for a quote. Yeah, he's, you know? he seems he's, like he's a good guy to get. Yeah, absolutely, always good for uh, a quote. On, on the women's side, uh, we have Camilla George. Uh, sorry for dropping something. Uh, Camilla George, who hasn't played her first round game yet, uh, her first round match yet, and uh, Elias Svitolina, who has you know unconfirmed Jewish ancestry. We need to get to the bottom of that. Uh, who beat Venus Williams in the first round? They were both wild card qualifiers because. Uh, uh, Svitolina lost her whatever her exemption. Status? I don't know the the rules. Yeah. Her status. I, I don't really know the the machinations of WTA rules uh, because she had a baby. She had a baby mm-hmm. like I don't know nine months ago or something like that. Um, and Venus Williams, I think, has just had injuries and things like that that it, ha- have stopped her from being able to play. And I I gotta say, like, without knowing all the machinations of this, I think it should be like golf style, where it's like if you have won this tournament in like in like uh, like collective memory. And you're still able to like get up and down the court. Just let them play. Yeah, like, you're it's back silly forever. that someone like Venus Williams should have to like qualify or something like that, uh, or or whatever. Like get in through wild card. Totally. Again, I I I'm not speaking to this as a tennis expert. I just feel like if someone shows up and they're like, yeah, whatever. I'm Martina Navratilova. I will be playing Wimbledon this year. They should just be like, all right, whatever. I think if, if, if your funeral. <laughs> that, that, that's fine. Like if maybe maybe that's a, maybe that's a bridge too far, but say like under 50 or if you've won the tournament in the last 15 years or something like that, just like let them play. Who cares? I, like what, what's the downside? Like it's, it's only good for ratings or whatever else, like for Venus Williams to like be having a first round match against, you know, another former top 10 player. Like there's no downside to that. I don't think we should bring back a tennis, a tennis um, expert. But I think the argument is that it's just not very good television. Like it's not, it's not going to be a okay, competitive fine. match is that because it's one-on-one, they don't want, you know, in golf, at least, like, somebody can hide and miss the cut and you'll right. hear from them again. But in tennis, like, they're going to get embarrassed by somebody who's at the top of their game. Eh, I, I, I think that's fine. I think I think that's, that's like, these people are competitive. And, and, and occasionally you would have some, like, 45-year-old guy, uh, you know, playing in his last, like, his last U.S. Open uh, eligibility or whatever because he won it 14 years ago. And you'd see him like make it to the third round, and it would be uh, it would be amazing. I mean, you know, there's nothing like uh, you know Tiger winning the Masters in 2019 or, or Phil at the, uh, mm-hmm. the PGA. Um, you know, like it, it was amazing to see an old guy do something like that. So I agree, tennis is a, is, is a younger person's game in many ways, but still, I'd, be, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see, see it. you'd want to see something amazing happen where it's not you know it, it it's not likely. Um, but as you said, it's also probably, it might never happen. I guess he kept going for a very long time. I think he had a pretty magnificent run at age 38. Um, you know, not, not likely to happen, but those sorts of things can happen for former champions. I I see your point. Um, in the meantime, should we take a short break and then, uh, come back and, and wrap up the month in sports? Sounds good. 
Well, it's July, and you know what that means. It's a million degrees outside. Yes, There's wildfires burning everywhere. Yeah, I just got back from a trip, and, and our air, air conditioning was off, and I am... Uh, I I I am I, I run hot. Let's just put it that way. And uh, it's way too hot outside. Uh, um, but what else does it mean? What else does July mean? What else Gabe? does it mean? It means it is uh, the Tour de France going oh. on right now, which which means you know there's roughly a hundred absolute machines of humanity uh, racing twenty one out of twenty three days, hundreds of kilometers a day, um, going a total of thirty five hundred kilometers, going absolutely uh, uh, driving. You know pushing their bodies to the absolute limit. Probably one of the hardest events on earth ever. Um, I don't think this is necessarily related, but no Jew has ever completed the Tour de France. Um, We're not sure if any Jew has ever even attempted the Tour de France officially, Um, but there's a number of really wonderful Jewish connections to it, um, both positive and negative to cycling and Judaism. Um, Going all the way back to the Tour de France's origins, uh, okay. I'm excited to tell you guys about this. A lot of our research, there's a lot of sources on this, but one of the sources we consulted um, comes from a former guest and friend of the pod, Nathan Abrams, um, who sure. wrote sort of a, a Jewish history of the Tour de France in uh, in Forward a few years ago. Um, generally speaking, the Tour de France exists uh, because it was a marketing tool invented to promote an anti-Semitic newspaper um, wow. that was uh, created to publish anti-Dreyfus takes uh, wow. during the Dreyfus affair in Paris. That was, it was a idea of the marketing arm of this newspaper uh, to create a bike race with ads everywhere for this newspaper to rile up support against the Jews um, uh-huh. in, you know, during the time of the Dreyfus affair. So the history is somewhat Jewish, um, you know, at least in that, in that aspect, there's also, you know, a lot Jewish, of, yeah. Uh, it, it, the, the anti-Semitic history, of the, the anti-Semitic history of the Tour de France, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah. The anti-Semitic history of the Tour de France, exactly. Um, as well, you know, we go a couple of years, uh, and there's actually, um, you know, an amazing story out of the Holocaust. I know there's so many amazing uh, uh, Holocaust, but um, Gino Batali or Gino Bartali, I believe is his name, known as Gino the Pious, sort of after this came at and. Uh, Genitasio in Italy um, won the Giro d'Italia a number of times and the Tour de France in 1938 and in 1948 um, with pausing, um, sort of pausing to to help in the war effort in Italy. However, um, while using his biking skills during the tournament, he was actually using his bike as a messenger to create and distribute fake papers to save Jews from deportation during World War II. Um, currently at Yad Vashem, one of the greatest cyclists of all time, multiple Tour de France winner. Um, he sort of has his own tree in the tree of righteous Gentiles at Yad Vashem in Israel. Um, as you know, as someone who was not Jewish, who saved Jews, uh, during the Holocaust. Um, and he sort of had this resistance in order to rescue people. Um, he was also, you know, he, he hit a Jewish family in his house, um, and as we said, most importantly, he sort of used his bicycle, you know, he, he was training for races and he was a bike messenger put up by the government, but he would also carry messages to and from resistance members and Jewish people bringing letters to them, stuff like that. So that's, you know, probably I would say it's not a, a Jewish uh, athlete, but it's someone who truly cared for the struggle of the Jewish people, who was one of the greatest riders of all time. 
um, who has taken part of this, who has this amazing history of the Tour de France. And now we go, I guess it's 80 years later from that, uh, Israel has its own national cycling team. And yeah, that's very team. cool. We've, we've been following yeah. them for a while. The Israel Premier, they're now the Israel Premier Tech, which is a Canadian tech company that's their sponsor. Um, yes. But it's owned by a couple Israeli guys or American Israeli guys, Ron, Ron Baron or uh, Ron Baron, as, as, as I can Ron only assume Baron. every every Israeli calls him, um, um, sort of billionaire investor who owns the cycling team. And they, they uh-huh. put up a team at the, at the Tour de France. Absolutely. Um, you know, he uh, – something interesting about Ron Baron or Ron Baron is he owns the single most expensive house in America. Right. Um, which was a hundred million dollar, you know, palace in East Hampton. Um, and I think if you, good, you know, good for him, good for him, you have that kind of money, start a cycling team. Why the yeah. hell not? Um, I, 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 I did want to mention that I do, I do know, um, one other great, actually French Jewish bicycling story, uh, which is that there was a, uh, a cartoonist named, named, uh, Hans Ray. Who is, is Jewish? Uh, a, a German Jew who's living in Paris with his wife Margaret. Um, and uh, shortly after the city fell, after the Nazis invaded, they fled Paris by bicycle, uh, bicycled all the way down to I think Portugal, where they they you know, or, or sorry, Spain through Portugal, um, made it out through Lisbon uh, and sailed to I think Brazil and then New York. Uh, one of the few possessions that they brought with them on their bicycle was the manuscript uh, for a book called Curious George. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, I know. And, and I think there's like probably been some hagiography or, or whatever you want to call it about this. That's sort of like some of the Curious George books have been inspired by their fleeing the Nazis and things like that, um, which I don't, I, 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 you know, some of that sounds like a little bit too much like myth, but uh, mm-hmm. still pretty amazing that, you know, they bicycled from France to Portugal and, uh, we're all we all benefit by their survival and having curious George. So a good French bicycling story. Yeah, absolutely. That's a terrific French Jewish bicycling bicycling story. The other thing I like about the Tour de France is that it just randomly involves other countries. Sometimes, like this year, it yep. started in Bilbao, and like sometimes they just take a jaunt into Switzerland or whatever, and it's just like, yeah, that's just that's just the route that we had this year. Like that's that country just happens to be there. Like we needed to bike through it, and it's like. You know, it's not much of a national cycling uh, like, like the one yeah. it's supposed to be a Tour de France. Like, totally. Uh, well, it's it I, moves over I'm sure, to whatever anyways. it fits. Yeah. Um, so I just think that's really funny to start in Spain is is great. One other, you know, Jewish bicycling story, not necessarily with Tour de France, but um, something we thought was interesting. You know, the Tour de France is an incredible feat of endurance and you know mental and physical strength. Um, but three years ago, a, or two years ago, 2021, a 52 year old Canadian woman named Leah Goldstein, who we've talked about on this podcast before, raced, rode her bike across all of America, like the whole country in 11 days, becoming the fastest woman ever to do that. Um, so I believe we, we have either had Leah on the show before talked about having her on the show. Maybe we've couldn't get it together, but but maybe she can come on and talk to us about the tour every week and then give us Israel premier tech updates. We'll see. Um, but that, yeah. I think that's, that's an it for Jewish cycling. Uh, tell me, Jamie, have there been any sort of like in the last couple of weeks in sports of, of the major sports leagues, any sort of situations where they take all the rookies, like the players who are like new in the league and then decide what teams they're going to play for? How does that work? 
Glad you had that mentioned that because the, both the NHL and the NBA had their drafts, uh, and two guys we wanted to highlight in each sport. Um, one is the, uh, the 40th pick in the NHL draft, Andrew Crystal, uh, who's from Vancouver, I believe. Uh, he was selected by the Washington Capitals, so he'll uh, he'll he'll have to join um, Danny Avdia as as the sort of Jewish pillars of the uh, MCI Center. I assume I assume the Capitals play in the MC. They don't call it the MCI Center <laughs> anymore, do they? But where, whatever the uh, the arena so. that hosts both the Capitals and the uh, the Washington Wizards will uh, will have Jewish players on both sides. Uh, so congrats to him. He was the first Jew uh, picked in that draft. Should shout out the Twitter account Jewish Hockey, uh, mm-hmm. which does a great job sort of highlighting Jewish players. Uh, give it a follow. Uh, if you're interested in Jews and hockey and in the round ball side, Amari Bailey was, uh, you know, picked, uh, was it 40th, 40th overall as well? Let me, uh, I think so. Double check, double check that. Um, but he was picked by the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, he was the 41st pick overall, sorry, uh, in the second round by the Charlotte Hornets. Maybe not the most, uh, you know, the most anticipated Charlotte Hornet draftee this year. Uh, in- but interestingly, the second Jewish NBA player named Amari. Yeah, that's the other thing. There have been two Jewish NBA players named Amari. He spells it A-M-A-R-I, as opposed to Amari Stoudemire, who's A-M-A-R apostrophe E. But the fact that there have been two guys in the in the entirety of the NBA history named Amari, and they're both Jews, pretty amazing. Um, Very amazing. So yeah, Amar, Amar, and also, I mean, Amari, when he was a high school recruit a couple years ago, was in the news because his mom dated Drake. Uh, or at least was spotted with Drake. So yes, potentially his Jewish you know, mother, a Jewish, his a Jewish, Jewish mother and mother. Jewish, yeah, could have a Jewish stepdad as well. Um, hopefully Drake shows up when he uh, plays in Toronto and uh, I don't know, chirps him from the bench or talks to him. I mean, it's uh, it, it's always a little touchy in the NBA when when moms come into play. That's happened a few times where uh, there have been there have been relations with players' moms or alleged relations with players' moms and. Uh, Absolutely. It's never it never creates a, a you know it never creates a, a lot of goodwill between them. Let's say, no, uh, I but, don't think so. Yeah, but that's exciting for Amari Bailey. Uh, you know, he was a big high school prospect. I, I think uh, probably two years ago, if you were doing a mock draft, like maybe he would have been a little higher than fortieth, but or forty first. But the, well, the draft analysis I read was that you know he was a steal and he, he was expected to be a a back of the uh, sorry a back of the first round guy and. That it could be a good steal for Charlotte, you know, a rebuilding team, and, and they'll, you know, they'll see how we do. You should, you should get minutes. Is the point, you know, you should get minutes. Yeah, I, think uh, it, I think both of these guys are going to get a shot. Um, yeah, whether it's in training camp or the first sort of week or two of the season, both both Bailey and Crystal are going to get a lot of playing time. A lot, uh, good look. You know, they're drafted high enough, especially in Crystal's case, second round, fortieth overall. Like a lot of those guys end up making the show. So, yeah. but they're going to get a good look. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we wish them both luck. And, you know, obviously it's summer. So I guess maybe we'll see Amari a little bit at, at Summer League. Uh, Ooh. And keep an eye on him and, and see how he does. Um, but, yeah, anyways, the, I think that's pretty much it for this uh, this round of Mensch Warmers and going over all the news that's been going on, exciting stuff for Israel soccer especially. Um, as always, we're produced by the Canadian Jewish News. You can find our podcast at the Canadian Jewish News website, the cjn.ca. Uh, please like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get us. Uh, if you're using a podcast app, you can just click subscribe. Uh, get the mentorers in your in, into your feed whenever we we publish, uh, and follow us on Twitter uh, for as long as that exists. And we're not too rate limited, 
and, 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 and either of us are bored at work. Uh, you know, you can, you can get our, our read on Jewish sports events uh, or on Twitter at Menschwarmers. We follow it. Uh, We're in it all the time. And if you guys just want to talk about interesting uh, Gino Bartali stories, um, you know, he seems like a pretty cool dude with the cigarette and the slick back hair. Like, that's the kind of righteous amongst the uh, uh, Gentiles, Gentiles that I want yeah. to know. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, exactly produced by, by uh, Michael Freeman. Uh, but yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks.